What's going on and welcome into the Monday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek as we continue our third week of player recaps. The final ones, we have three more to go. As we welcome and join Jim Eichenhofer from Pelicans.com, Najee Marshall today, Devontae Graham tomorrow, and Billy Hernan Gomez will wrap things up on Wednesday and give you all a little break for the Memorial Day holiday and then we'll be back um, before the draft. We'll get to all that in a little bit. Jim, how was your weekend? It was great. How about yours? It was great. I had... My daughter's for all alone for the first time, and uh, I am alive to talk about it today, so that's very good. Excellent work. Everyone's everyone's good. Everyone's They're made alive. it through the weekend. They, everyone I made think it through the weekend. I think you can check that off the box. It was a success. I know you can't see it, but Jim got a, a fresh haircut just for me, as it is a Monday here. He wanted to make sure he looked good for this podcast. You, you look sharp, my friend. Well, thank you. That's that's. That means a lot coming from you. All right, let's get this started before it goes off the rails. Najee Marshall, um, our player that we're going to discuss today. And I, I think we need to start things off with the fact that last year, what we saw from Najee in an undrafted, going through training camp role, to being a two-way player, to earning a contract, kind of the Jose Alvarado route, I think it's safe to say, from this year to now coming into this season, Jim, was under cro- contract. I'm sure that just makes someone feel a little bit more comfortable knowing that not saying that he's not one of those guys that says, Oh, I'm, I'm good. I have a contract now, mm-hmm. but that has to ease your mind a little bit, knowing that you are going into training camp with, with some sort of role with this team. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to speak for him, but I, I would think that to some degree it, it kind of solidifies in your mind that I deserve to be here. I belong here on the NBA level. Um, he was obviously a guy coming in that we, I don't think any of us knew a whole lot about him, um, and then the way that he started his rookie year where he had COVID and he was out of training camp, it was really the the kind of the worst possible scenario, worst case scenario to start a career with the, the way the situation was with him. Um, he got to play in the G League bubble and did really well. And I think that was kind of a springboard for how he was able to play in the last month of his rookie season. That was really um, – he got a really good chance to play and, and consistently be on the court. So, yeah, I think that that set him up for um, his second season to just to be able to uh, do do as well as he did both in the G League bubble and the, really just he played a lot, but it was really all compressed into the last month of that uh, 2021 season. How would you describe his 21-22 season? Because there were different kind of roles for him um, yeah. throughout the year. Played some, didn't play as, uh, didn't play as much. Um, but we talked about the, we'll talk about the bench unit here and kind of how he really helped that second unit, um, throughout the playoff push. How would you describe Najee's second season with the Pels? I think he started out the season being part of the rotation and someone that the team thought was going to be a contributor every game. He had a stretch where he was out of the rotation. He got a bunch of DMPs. He had, I think two or three separate stretches where he was out of the lineup and didn't play at all for, you know, six, seven plus games. But then the second half of the season, the very first game after the all-star break at Phoenix, which I think everyone that follows the team remembers that game. We didn't necessarily know it at the time, but it was really a turning point. And that was the night that they made the decision to put him back in the rotation as a catalyst off the bench, a defensive force, a guy that hustles, um, is very disruptive, creates, causes a lot of turnovers by the opposing team. And um, from that point on, he really was able to stay in the rotation and somebody that they counted on through the rest of the regular season and the playoffs. I think he and Jose Alvarado 
set the tone defensively for the reserves. And if we if we think back, I think that second unit was definitely inconsistent and a weakness the first couple months of the season, coinciding with the team getting off to a bad start. But in the second half of the year, and even all the way through the play-in tournament and the playoffs, um, that was a group that you could count on to change the game very frequently. There were many times where the you know they, the team would start off with a poor or, or slow first quarter, and those guys would come in and and change the momentum. So um, he had a very eventful season, but I think it ended in very good fashion as far as you know being somebody like I said that played every single game the second half of the year and was pretty instrumental in the the backups kind of gaining an identity as well as as just this aggressive pesky group of guys that would um you know cause a lot of problems for other teams offenses yeah between Marshall and Alvarado defensively coming off the bench um, I'm sure opposing players are like what the heck there's not only one of them but two it's, it's there's always that guy in like pickup where a guy gets you 94 feet and you're playing mm-hmm. pickup and you're like who the heck is this guy it's definitely not the guy when I'm guarding you because I'm just exhausted after <laughs> one play so I'm not picking you up at all um but to have Najee and Jose on that second unit certainly did help them later on down the stretch which kind of leads to speaking of of Alvarado and Marshall um the success the last couple of years from David Griffin Trajan Lane and their crew as far as drafting or not drafting and picking up players that have, have led to major roles with this team. Alvarado is one example of being undrafted. Najee's another one. And then you have to talk about Herb Jones being the 35th overall pick, um, making um, all-rookie team, second team. So um, it's just been nice that we saw it, and I don't like to make comparisons too much between Saints and Pelicans, but the Saints have been known for a long time to develop undrafted players and make them key players, and it looks like the Pelicans are kind of taking that same script and and able to produce some guys as well. It's funny. I feel like in some ways, I mean, I'll speak for myself individually, you kind of have to change your mindset a little bit. I feel like over the last few years, you get to the point where you start to say, you look at, you know, some of the teams that have accumulated a lot of second round picks or even late first round picks. And you, you say, what is the value of those? It, It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of value. If you, if you try to trade, you know, say two or three second round picks, some of the other teams in the league are going to look at you like, uh, who cares? What, there's no value there. But if you look at what the Pelicans have done the last couple of years, it does kind of reinforce the idea that the second-round picks can turn out to be hugely valuable. And as you said with the case with Najee and Jose, I mean, even after the draft is over, you have the chance to find guys that can help you in big ways. So um, I feel like that part has kind of um, – gone under the radar across the league, but there, it does seem like the last few years, there are more and more guys that are undrafted that turn out to be contributors. Um, I had kind of, I was kind of looking through some undrafted lists and I think Fred Van Vliet is really unquestionably the the best undrafted player in terms of active guys, sure. but there's also, you know, players like Seth Curry, Royce, Royce O'Neal, Maxi Klebo, we've seen have a huge role in the Western conference finals. And for a team that has really kind of exceeded expectations with the Mavericks, um, but I think it's interesting though, that you start, I've, you started to hear this more and more the last couple of years where some of the agents for players actually prefer their, their player to not be drafted in some cases, because then as opposed to whatever team drafted you, you have to go there regardless of whether there's going to be any opportunity whatsoever. You're a free if, agent, right? Basically. If you're a free agent and you can kind of pick and choose, you have the discretion to say, okay, the Pelicans called me up. I think that's a good place where I might have a chance to develop exactly. and have a chance to go to there, even if it's 
initially just go to their G League team and a team that believes in me. Um, you know, a lot of cases, I know Jose mentioned that he thought that it was possible that he could get drafted, but it ended up not being the case. So sometimes that is, sometimes that's the best route. I feel like for both Jose and Najee, you could say that ultimately them not getting drafted was probably the best, uh, the, the best case where, um, if they had been picked by another team that maybe didn't have as much confidence in, in them and sometimes even more importantly, have the opportunity for them to actually get on the court and, and play minutes. I mean, that that's more important than anything. It's, it's nice to have your name called and it's cool to have the moment in, in the videos of you, you know, hugging people and saying, Hey, I was drafted. There's only 60 guys a year that can, can claim that. But I mean, from a long-term perspective, I mean, not getting drafted has worked out really well for both of them. To piggyback off of what you said, though, this is as far as the second round picks are concerned. The Pelicans have two of them for this draft, 41 and 52. You remember who the last really successful 41 pick was, right? I'm putting you on the spot here. Was it Jokic? It was Jokic huh. at 41. Okay. And I'm not saying you're going to find an MVP at every 41 pick, sure. but I'm sure in the back of the mind when you're thinking about having 41 and 52, you may go off and sell 52 for some cash. Mm-hmm. But even now with the every team having a G League team, I feel like that's a why not use both picks and just see what they have. Again, with it being a second-round pick, there's no guaranteed contracts attached to them. So let them play in the G League. Let them go to Summer League and see if, it, if it's worth anything. If not, then you say, oh, well. And I feel like that could be the case when you look at 41. You're not thinking, oh, we'll just throw them in the G League. See, like 41 could could play a role next year in some way or at least make the team. So, um, But also might be tough with the Pelicans returning a lot of guys. But I think it does, does change the perspective of some teams knowing that now that they see, even looking at the Pelicans and Herb Jones, I bet you a lot of teams this year between 30 and 40 are going, where can we find the next Herb Jones? Yeah, I mean – you, you just mentioned what I was going to add was um, 41 is really not that far from where Herb was picked last year. I mean, no pressure. Yeah. Just find another guy that is easy, that can, right? That can be on the second team, all rookie. And maybe you could make a case could have been on the first team, all rookie this year, despite the fact that he was picked at 35. Um, but like you said, you know, I mentioned how there's a growing number of guys that are undrafted that seem to be contributing maybe more so than was the case 10 years ago. I think to your point, um, the G League franchises have definitely added to that, whereas I think some of these guys would have gone overseas and they might have carved out great careers in Europe somewhere and made more money. Now, but you would have never doing. you would have never heard about them as an NBA fan because they never would have been over here. Now you have a lot more players who are kind of weighing their options and saying, you know, maybe I could make more more money in Italy or something like that. But I want my goal is to be in the NBA and I'm going to bet on myself and know that if I at least have the opportunity on the G league level, if it doesn't work out yet, you can still go back overseas and make, you know, cash in on a contract as an American Uh player that teams want. But, um, if you, if you're in the G league, you have opportunity to actually be in the organization, quote unquote, in terms of, if you're playing for Birmingham, they're going to get a good look at you as the Pelicans. And if you excel there, I mean, you have a really good chance to, to be able to move up and get some minutes in the NBA. All right, let's wrap things up with a Twitter poll question. You can follow Jim on Twitter at Jim underscore Eichenhofer. Uh, Jim, what was the question for Najee Marshall? The question was, what did you like most about what Najee and the Pelicans bench did during the second half of the regular season through the playoffs? The overwhelming poll winner was hustle and intensity at 84%. Makes sense. Followed by swag, which got 8%. I do love his swag, though. <laughs> and defense got 7%. So um, we... the. One of the uh, comments that came in that was 
I'll note is from the the Twitter account Valentunis Bros. Nice. They wrote, "I love Najee's strength. He really pl- plays with force. His decision making is still improving." Yeah, for sure. Again, this is being his second year. There's plenty of room to grow from him. He just feels so comfortable around these guys. Talk about the the chemistry, which we've been talking about throughout these. I mean, he did his his uh, postseason media availability in a Brandon Ingram jersey. I right. mean, it just it just shows the type of person that he is. You know, one thing I'll add specific to his game too. The Valanciunas Bros mentioned that his decision making making is improving. I think you could also say the same thing for his offensive game in general. I mean, that's the that's kind of the next step. We know that he's a good defensive player. We know he can rebound. He can hustle. He can do a lot of those things. I think offensively, when he came into the league, that was the area that people said, you know, he needs to improve his shot. So um, he only slightly improved his field goal percentage this year. But his one thing I am encouraged by is his free throw percentage went from 71% to 80%. So that was a nice jump. And maybe that's something that he can carry over into other parts of his game. His three-point percentage went down. His assist-to-turnover ratio went down. But I think both of those two areas, you could kind of chalk up to the fact that his his as a rookie, he was in the lineup 20-plus games consecutively every single night, playing a certain amount of minutes. The second season, his minutes were up and down, and his role, as we touched on, kind of fluctuated. So um, I think that he's going to keep working on his shot. And that's going to be the area that um, probably will dictate how many more minutes he can get. Um, his assist-to-turnover ratio and his decision-making, he had the ball in his hands a lot more as a rookie. Things kind of ran through him, and we saw his passing ability. He played off the ball a lot more this year, so that was made it tougher, I think, for him to to get those assists up. But he he definitely needs to um, get tighter with you know decision-making and, turn, and reducing his turnovers all right let's see what the step is in year number three all right jim i appreciate it we'll talk about Devonte graham tomorrow sounds good all right so graham tomorrow hernan gomez on wednesday thanks for listening to the monday edition of the pelicans podcast presented by seeky